Welcome to the Confidence Conversation podcast with me, Joy Burnford. This show explores the world of women, work, and what it takes to feel more confident. A lack of confidence is not a crime, so if you need some motivation, inspiration, or a boost of confidence, grab a cuppa, go for a dog walk, or escape for a drive, and join us for today's conversation about confidence. Our focus for this season is on getting to the top, and I'll be talking to some incredible women and experts from around the world to share their real-life stories, advice, and tips to inspire you in your career. And I'd like to say a big thank you to Gail Morgan Style for sponsoring this season. Focusing on mindset, colours, style and wardrobe management, Gail has inspired me and thousands of other women to increase their visibility, impact and influence by reducing wardrobe overwhelm and confusion. She truly is a master of her craft and completely understands how the right clothes can immediately increase your confidence and credibility. Gail is offering our listeners 15% off all her virtual and in-person colour analysis sessions and any of her other services when you reference this podcast. To find out more, see the link in the show notes or visit gailmorganstyle.com. I'm delighted to welcome Lynn Yu as my guest today. Lynn is an executive director at Goldman Sachs and a multi-award winning thought leader on the intersection of diversity, culture and psychology to business. She's an amazing thinker and joins me today to talk about her recent return from maternity and the importance of learning about yourself, your mindset and your values. Good morning, Lynn, and welcome to the Confidence Conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to have you. And as you know, the theme for this season is all about getting to the top. So today we're going to chat about your background, your career, some of your challenges you've experienced, and in particular, returning from maternity and advice for other women wanting to reach the top. And I just wanted to let our listeners know that you're going to be talking in your own personal capacity today, and it's your views rather than those of your employer. And I'm delighted you agreed to be on the podcast. I'm also excited that we're both judges for the Rising Star Awards later this month, which I'm very excited about. So let's talk a little bit about your background and career. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do now and how you've reached where you are today? I have spent the last decade in the City of London. So day to day, I work with institutional investors in the UK. Before my life in finance, I was trained as an experimental psychologist. So um, this understanding of behavior science is incredibly helpful for everything that I do, in my view. Because, um, you know, 100% of our clients are people, 100% of our employees are people. So if you don't understand people, you don't really understand business. So there's a curiosity that I have about human minds and human behavior that was very instrumental in what I do from looking at the financial markets to understand the decision-making process, from how to drive performance at work as a leader to how to bring the best of ourselves to the office as an employee. Mm. But if I take a step back, before my study in the UK, I grew up in mainland China. As uh, someone born after the one-child policy, I think what is interesting about our life story is how that coincides with this unprecedented growth that China has experienced for the past four decades. There was some analysis that measuring this piece, uh, pace of change based on the GDP per capita data. So China during 1990 to now have changed 32 times. That is uh, 16 times more than the US. So 
all we have experienced in our life was transition and change. Mm-hmm. And I distinctly remember my first interaction with the West. You know, I was about four years old. And then that was the first time I saw this Western TV advert. It was a head and shoulders shampoo advert. So as intrigued as I was to find out what dandruff really was, I think I was just equally amazed by the advancement this commercial represented. It was back then, despite my very young age, I remember I said to myself, I want to see more of that. I want to be part of that world. So it was that same curiosity that really drove me through education, learning English, achieving a degree in the UK, as well as working in the financial service sector. I think at some level, that little girl's dream almost came true. I mean, at least I don't have any dangers, but I think that curiosity of the world has really put me into a position to uh, work with British clients directly. So I think the last piece, as you mentioned, is really I returned to work from eternity very recently. You know, they say when a child was born, so was the mother. And I think in my case, that just couldn't be more true. I see this as a great opportunity to reset, to embrace my different identities as a professional, as a mom, as a carer for my mom, Mm -hmm. as a wife, as a woman, as ethnic minority, as an advocate, you know, all of the above, to be just more purposeful about my life and really make a bigger impact. Wow, that's amazing. I love that you've embraced that and looking at all the positives from your time off work. So tell me, what do you think's helped you most in your career? I think when we think about that, that there are, let's say, sponsors, mentors, professional networks, for example. And I would say all of the above are super important because um, one of the most important things that I have learned is really how different work is compared to, say, study. Because when we study, that's much more like a linear system. So you study hard, that leads to good results and which leads to your success as a student. It just, it took me quite a long time to understand that works work completely differently, right? It's no longer a linear system. What you input doesn't necessarily means a result, at least not the time frame that you often expect. So I think there are so many variables into this process. And that means it doesn't have a right or wrong answer a lot of the times. And then um, this information about the rule book of work isn't handed to us like the university textbooks anymore. So I think all of it just says that it requires us to have a different mentality to piece together the information ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think in this context, the mentors, the sponsors, the networks, they're all so important for us to piece together our version of the answer of our career strategy. So I think for me, the, this progressing one's career requires this different type of learning that really informed my strategy now to develop myself professionally. I think it just takes a lot of intention, deliberate practice, investment and commitment. But this mindset is probably the most important thing because we need to purposefully cultivate sponsors, mentors, networks. These are the secret sources for the success. These are necessary. These are not just nice to have. And there's every bit of our career success. Absolutely. And I think that linear structure, thinking you can just put your head down and work hard, that you'll be recognized for that just doesn't happen. And so many people don't realize that. They just think I'm going to work hard, like I've always worked hard and somebody's going to promote me. And sadly, it just doesn't happen, does it? So you've talked a little bit about success. 
But what does it really mean to you? And how has that changed over time? And has your opinion changed over all the years? You know, it changed so much. I guess maybe being on maternity leave is a catalyst to have some headspace to reflect on this. I think there was a period that my identity, my self-worth was entirely linked to my career and my life was involving exclusively about work. You know, I'm one of those annoying people who, <laughs> if there's something on Friday evening that needs to be done, I would just happily drop everything to be like, give the work to me. I want to do more work. So I think I realize now this is not a very sustainable way of working. But what I also realized that I was not that annoying person. It was how I was brought up because, um, you know, growing up in uh, China, especially as I mentioned about economic reform, everybody was so obsessed with the success because they didn't have the opportunity before. So that just means success only comes to the only thing that matters and that if you go to a bookstore, by the way, in China, you will see a huge selection of books that's called success books. You just won't see it anywhere, not even in America, that just tells you how much people are obsessed with it. So I guess that was my relationship with success because that was the, how I was brought up. And then certainly... I just experienced this firsthand because, you know, if I go back to China and then people repeatedly told me that I'm not ambitious enough. And um, whereas here in the UK, I think the opposite could be true. I've never heard there's something called you can be too ambitious, especially as women. So I think both are problematic and then probably need to address them. But I think, you know, by this standard, I probably have already failed massively, especially, you know, I've taken two maternity leaves. I've taken almost a full year off just to look after my mom in China. So when she was critically ill, you know, that's what you do as a single child. But I think because of this experience, also this definition of success have um, massively changed for me, especially as I now have different dimensions of my life. So I guess I'd see why success was measured this way because um, you know money is much easier to measure right your net worth improved 10 percent is much easier to understand than say you are 10 percent happier than next last year or you're 10 percent less anxious i mean what does that even mean right but i i think those external factors that link to materialistic things first class travel or whatever you just got to think who is selling us this anxiety because if we're not anxious, who are they going to sell their anti-aging creams to? So, so understanding all of this, you know, the different dimensions of my life, you know, the drivers of success being imposed on us, I think is very liberating. Because now I have a choice in terms of how I react to those uh, external factors. It doesn't mean that we are not we're immune from the external factors, but there is a difference, I think, between approval and affirmation. So yeah. uh, it's not that we don't care about the validations, but it's like a nice to have. It's not driving my entire self-worth. Yeah. And I think that's really the biggest change. Yeah. As you say, it's good to hear it, see it, and then say, thank you for showing me that. And actually, I'm going to ignore that. Brilliant. So moving on to your personal life. As you said, you've just returned from maternity leave after having your daughter. And I wondered, how's the transition back to work going? Um, I know you've only been back a week or so, but um, I'd love to hear, hear your thoughts. I have to say it has gone exceptionally well to my own surprise. And I have no doubt that there is an element of adrenaline here. So do check in with me. Yeah. <laughs> But I think what really made me notice about this uh, notion 
of anxiety is I've just anticipated so much, you know, and then I think that's because we just keep thinking about all the things have gone wrong. You know, what if the commute is bad? What if I haven't been back to the office for two years since COVID? What does that mean? What if my daughter's not coping? How about it? all the changes have happened in business? Um, what about the new strategies, new people? And then I start to worry what happens to my, say, new healthy habits of eating or exercise if I don't have time. How do I cope if my daughter is not well? I mean, she, by the way, has been waking up at least twice a night for the past 365 days. So I did wonder about how do I stay at work? (laughs) I stay awake at work, for example. So I think, you know, yes, it is week one, but I've already learned something because I've learned, one, this anticipation of the anxiety is probably the worst. Worst, yeah. (laughs) And then secondly is, you know, when we are thinking about going back, why we're so anxious is because we're thinking about the entirety of the task. But when we're actually start doing it, we're actually doing it one day at a time, right? So you're only dealing that day at the first day at work. So I think that really puts me understanding this perspective. So anxiety is helpful for us to help with the planning, but it really is not our entire reality. Mm-hmm. So the first week back was nowhere near as bad as I thought. So perhaps, you know, I can dial down my worry this time. And then going forward, I can use this as an input and then to see this is reality and then uh, don't have to be as anxious. Yes. So rather than what if, perhaps we should just say, let's see what happens. It's so interesting you hear you say that because as you know, in my book, I'm writing which is being published at the end of this year, I've got a whole section on the what ifs. And I've listed these out because, you know, pretty much everything you've said, it's not you that's having these thoughts. It's every woman I've, I think I've ever spoken to who has returned from maternity leave has had these thoughts. So tell me a little bit about how you're managing the juggle of returning to work, being a mum and and working. Am I right in thinking your daughter has a, goes to a crash at work? Um, how's that been working? Yes, she is actually. Um, I took her in a few times during the keeping touch days, you know, as a natural planner, I wanted to um, get that um, before I returned. But the data point that I had at that point was she was quite young. So she cried so much. The nursery had to call me within the first hour informing me. And then within two hours, they asked me to take her away. I think she traumatized a few members of staff there. They would be like, oh, God, no, not her again. So naturally, I thought this would be a repeat. But I guess what I didn't take into account is actually she is now much older. So she was doing exceptionally well at this time. Nobody could believe she was uh, the same baby. And then I didn't do anything different. So sometimes I think we do have to be more kind of open-minded because of that. But I think, uh, you know, to your point about how do we manage the work and then family? And I thought of quite a bit of that um, during my maternity leave because it won't surprise you um, to know that that's one of the most frequently asked questions that we face as women. And um, I used to give answers, by the way, such as just be more focused, prioritize more time management, etc. But having the second child, I start to see this is maybe not the right question to ask. I clearly didn't know what I was talking about, but it wasn't just my answers wasn't that helpful. It's maybe that was the wrong question because why do we, not necessarily you ask this, but I thought a lot about this work-life balance thing because why there is a balance to begin with? Because to me, that seemed to imply there is some game 
that means you know the work and life are on the opposite side so if I want to be a better mom or a good enough mom in most cases, then my work will suffer. Um, my professional life will not progress as much as I like, and my career will end up paying a um, price. But, you know, there is another scenario, which is even worse than the first one for me, is if I want to be a better employee, go for that promotion, or even just level the playing field, then I'm going to be a a worse mom for my children. So I think it's that kind of a mentality of zero sum that something has to give it really makes me think that I don't want to subscribe to that view. And then maybe there is a own version of my success that I can craft because I don't want to have two versions of myself as well. You know, one is the work version, one is the mom version. We all know how exhausting it is to maintaining different uh, identities. And then also, you know, if I don't get it all together, I will be failing. I mean, we talked about this external standards. So I think it really refreshed my thinking to look at all this motion and then see perhaps there is a way that uh, we can craft ourselves. There was this quote that I quite liked, by the way. It says, do the best until you know better. And once you know better, do better. I think that probably summarized quite well in terms of the test and learn mentality for that. I hope you're enjoying the conversation so far. I want to take a moment to tell you a little bit more about my reasons for doing this podcast. At My Confidence Matters, our mission is to work together to navigate a path to gender equality through building confidence and capability. I'm passionate about enabling every woman to have the confidence to progress in their career, and I love talking to and sharing women's stories to inspire others. This podcast forms a small part of what we do, and if you think there's room for improvement in the way your organisation understands and manages the issues, barriers and obstacles that women face in the workplace, please do get in touch or tell your HR contact about us. There's a link in the show notes. And don't forget, developing a consistent personal brand can help you build your confidence and achieve your ambitions. So if something as simple as clothes is standing between you and your success, the amazing Gail at Gail Morgan Style is offering you 15% off all colour analysis and other services when you reference this podcast. I was actually talking to somebody this weekend who said, he said somebody would returned to work after 25 years of being a mother and not working. And, and I said, wow, that's amazing. Thinking, think of all those skills this person's gained. You know, I think a lot of women in that situation will be thinking, what have I got to give? And I, you know, I can't remember anything about work and I'm so lacking in confidence. And I think actually you need to flip it and think how much you, more you've learned in those 25 years of managing a house, organizing children's birthday parties, negotiation, communication, etc., and just generally juggling a million and one things. One maybe is to liberate ourselves from those standards that, mm. you know, whatever, like those voices tell us we can't have it all or mm. we need to have it all. Otherwise, we're failing. I think if we take the ownership about this is what my success looks like. And then um, then I think that can be quite liberating to, to begin with. So, uh, so I think that's kind of the mindset. But of course, there is a whole practical element of that. And how do you think about it? But I think, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that being a mom can bring so 
many different skill sets to work. And uh, I'm a much better employee, much better leader since I've had children. So I think it's really to see this as one continuum that the skill sets that you learned from home can be totally relevant to work and vice versa. So kind of break down those barriers. Yeah. I always say that being a mum was the hardest job I've ever done. You know, actually going to work's pretty easy for me in comparison. So today we've talked a bit about maternity leave. And if anybody would like to listen more about advice around this, you might want to listen back to episode 17 when I recorded a podcast with Jessica Chivers, who is the author of Mother's Work, which is all about coming back from maternity leave and confidence. So if you haven't had a listen to that, do have a listen if you're interested in this subject. So let's talk a little bit about challenges and some of the challenges you've experienced along the way. We spoke a little bit about how you grew up in China before moving to the UK. And I'd love it if you could describe a little bit about what it was like in your early career, being in a minority, both as a woman and Chinese. And I wonder, has that changed over time as you've reached more senior roles? I think moving from China to the UK has really been a very transformative experience because I was one of the majority. It is 1.4 billion people. So all of a sudden, I have become a minority in the city of London. I mean, at the very beginning, I I realized that people's perceptions of me are just so different from what I was used to before. So for example, as a Chinese person working in finance, I must be very good at math, very good at exams. I mean, I didn't really identify with much of that. It's not untrue, but I was like, okay, fine, so far, so good. Then I realized, you know, the number of times people just assume I have this national advantage over ping pong, you know, that was just staggering. Like I have nothing to do with the sport, but I have been invited to all sorts of those tournaments. And I've also uh, found this experiences going out with my colleagues, you know, on Friday night drinks, which is terrifying because not only that keeping up with their drinking was very challenging, but I think more scarily is I honestly didn't have enough interesting conversations to sustain all night and I also couldn't understand why one had to stand all night when there were seats available and I mean why did they choose to suffer and then also just kept waiting for the food to appear so I think you know after the evening physically I was tired from standing hungry from lack of food but that was nothing compared with what I was experiencing emotionally because I felt there was a different version of me was created in the eyes of my British colleagues. I'm not sure what that was, but it was certainly not this um, you know, interesting person that I thought I was. And that was really difficult to deal with. I guess I just hadn't realized this enormity of the task of moving from another country that is so culturally distinct. But also more and more, you know, at work, there is uh, also evidence to suggest there is a huge challenge, what we call this bamboo ceiling. So uh, it means the East Asians, the Chinese, we have one of the lowest chances of rising to management. So the studies from Ascent, this is a think tank in the US that highlights if you're a Chinese woman, the cultural factor is actually three to four times worse than the gender factor. And then when people put all the Asian groups together, it's actually quite a division between South Asians and then the East Asians because the bamboo ceiling is actually quite specific to the East Asians and Chinese. So I think for these reasons that 
we told that the reality is we are most likely to be hired because of the academic results, but we're least likely to be promoted. And then I think that really shaped some of my experience, especially confronted with this huge ambition that we have had growing up in the country, like China for the past four decades. So what it really helped me was a few pivotal moments. I think the first one is because I've ticked, say, the gender and the risk box, I just thought I was just so different. But what helped me to shift this focus is to realize, actually, fine, I am different. But how much of that is different? Let's say maybe 10 to 20%. You know, there is no scientific measure. I'm just putting a numbers out there. But what it says to me is actually... 80, 90% of the time, I'm the same as everyone else. What about that commonality? So the starting point to look for commonalities for me has been really liberating because this intersectionality and commonality that really offered opportunities to change these narratives. Mm -hmm. And then the second element, I think, is just decoding this influence. As I mentioned earlier, you know, so if I didn't enjoy Friday night drinks, it wasn't me, it was my culture. So knowing that, I realized I can focus on what really needs to change. It's not who I am. It is about a different set of behaviors just to um, be specific to the situations. And, uh, and then uh, really, it's about the organizations that need to be more inclusive. So again, that that is very, very liberating. And by the way, I got so much better at drinking now. So, uh, <laughs> And I think maybe the last one I would just mention is it's just not enough to lean in because our organizations, they were not set up with everyone in mind. So that's why Friday night drinks was the norm. But I think um, the more that uh, you fit with this ideal worker archetype, you know, being a middle-aged white man who doesn't have childcare responsibilities, who engage in a very competitive and exclusive leadership style, the more you fit in, the easier it is for you to progress. And the opposite is true. So I think a lot of the challenges are not my challenges. There are structural reasons. So I think it's important to, to recognize that, to liberate ourselves from, I need to be fixed. This is something wrong with me. And then I think that has been really helpful to look at the commonalities, not enough to just lean in and then really drive changes to be part of the movement. Absolutely. And it's music to my ears hearing you say that. It's brilliant. So as you know, this podcast is all about confidence and you seem to me to be a very confident person. And I wondered, you know, have you ever experienced any confidence challenges and how have you overcome them? Well, <laughs> I think that confidence can be just a perception, but I think what's more important is to understand the realities that we're in. I see confidence as much more like a, like a muscle. So it's not dissimilar to what we said about, you know, the career is not a linear system. And then we test and learn it. We do the best until we know better type of mentality. But also I think there is, uh, it took me quite a long time to realize is you know, what influences our confidence. Um, and I will give you a very sp a specific example of that because in China, for example, we have this concept that the loudest duck gets shot. You know, that is to say it's a very hierarchical nature and then uh, the leadership and relationship is very different from the American firms who uh, believes it's the squeaky wheels get the grease. So I guess, you know, it won't surprise you to, to hear then with that belief that at the beginning of my career, I was repeatedly told to speak up. And I, I was like, okay, fine. 
I was shocked by those questions initially because I was like, I'm just paying you my respect. But it told me, no, you know, you have to speak up. So I literally felt like my heart was pounding so badly because it was that duck that was about to get shot. So you just literally felt like you have to go against something that you fundamentally believe in. But it took me quite a while to understand what was really going on in the meetings. Because when I didn't say things, those are three things are happening in my mind. Because one, you know, I was waiting for my cue to speak because I, we were told it's rude to talk over each other. And two, I was paying my respect, right? We don't want to be this loudest duck. And three is we don't want to give kind of half-baked comments because we were told to only speak up when your answers are perfect. But, you know, what's going on in my colleagues' minds, you know, they also have three things that are happening. One is I didn't have any views. Two is I have poor communication skills. And three is I am not confident. And then I think to your point, these are pretty damaging perceptions for the organizations, but no one has really decoded it for me other than just asking me to speak up. So I think my point here is that the fact that I didn't speak up has nothing to do with my confidence. It's actually really important that we understand this. And then because there are a lot of people who don't naturally speak up, um, be it you're an introvert, be it you're from a different socioeconomic background, or means that you could be new or uh, you're from a different team, whatever that might be, I think we need to see this disconnection between our ability and the perception. So when we lack of confidence, what what is the reason for that? And once we know that, we can naturally be much more confident because we know what's us and what is not us. And then they give us the choice to be much more in control. Really interesting to hear you say that confidence is a muscle. That's something I talk about a lot as well. So you can learn to be more confident. I think a lot of people feel that you're either born confident or not confident. And actually, it is a skill that can be learned and developed, just like going to the gym to work out your other muscles. So I wonder if there's any advice that you'd now give to your younger self? Is there anything you would have done differently or anything you wish you'd known when you started out in your career? There are so many, I think. Um, By the way, the research, for example, shows that our best guidance that what we could have done differently involves, you know, believing your gut reaction, reminding yourself that everybody makes mistakes, try not to worry too much, being honest and helpful, loving yourself and not putting things off until tomorrow. So this is theme about confidence, awareness, and taking life at a steady pace. I think that is really very much resonating with me because uh, I thought the longest journey I've taken was from the West to the East, from China to the city of London. But now I've realized actually the longest journey is between my head and my heart. Wow. uh, (laughs) Because if you think a lot of things that cannot just be learned or studied, it's uh, they're there to be experienced. So I think, you know, if anything that I could tell my younger self is to really make a commitment to really understand ourselves and then to see what makes us. And then with that, then that becomes the freedom, the choice and then the growth. So to finish, Lynn, I wondered, could you perhaps highlight your one top tip for other women, particularly those from ethnic minorities uh, who want to advance in their careers? You've given us so many wonderful tips today, and I'm sure there's lots of things for people to think about. But if you could distill it into one tip, what would that be? 
I think it's probably the advice I give to myself is make a commitment to learning about yourself. So I think internally that means understanding what influences your behavior, mindset, values. But equally important is to understand how our brain and body works. You know, from this two system of the brain to um, the connection between body and the mind. I think understanding that will help us to be most resourceful and then bring the most of our cognitive abilities to work. So this is really important, not just for us, just for work, but also for our loved ones. But uh, externally, I think that also it's really important to see those structural reasons that how we are perceived to see us as not the problem that needs fixing, but actually part of the solution. So I think that will empower us to join forces with others and really cultivate a different culture and mobilize resources. So this is self-awareness, both externally and internally. That creates the space that I mentioned between the stimulus and response. And that's really where our personal professional growth lies in my view. Thank you so much, Lynn, for joining me today. It's been an absolute delightful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And I'll be back again soon with another Confidence Conversation. If you know anyone who might find this podcast useful, please do pass on the link. And it would give me a real confidence boost if you could subscribe, rate and leave a review. If you like what you've heard, join us at the confidenceconversation.club, where I'll be sharing tips and notes from each episode. And you can send in your ideas for future topics. And remember, you can get 15% off all virtual and in-person colour analysis sessions and other services at Gail Morgan Style when you reference this podcast. To book, get in touch at gailmorganstyle.com. Thank you. And until next time, bye for now.